Hello, and welcome to Nice Jewish Fangirls, a podcast where three Orthodox Jewish women discuss all of the nerdy, geeky things that we are obsessed with. That was me, S.M. Rosenberg, doing my best imitation of Michal Schick, because she is sick for this episode, but she is a trooper, and she's doing it anyway. So, uh, she's not going to be talking as much, but uh, say hello to my other co-host, Tamar Herman. Hello. And Michal is there, but she doesn't have to talk. Hi. She's, she's actually doing a very complicated dance, but you can't see it right now. Okay, so we are back, and our main topic is going to be the first Musarmida on our list, which is Savlanut, which translates roughly to patience. Um, we're not going to talk about that right away. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> just, I was setting this up. And first, we're going to do our current obsessions. And then we will dig into that um, and discuss all of its various different applications in fandom and literature and media and all the good stuff we usually talk about. But first, current obsessions. So, uh, Tamar, do you want to go first with your current obsession? Yeah, um, I'm going to try not to do too many spoilers because I know you two, I don't think, have watched it yet. Um, And I don't imagine a lot of our listeners, or maybe some have. Um, I just, uh, I'm currently, I don't know if it's an obsession, but I'm currently watching Hawkeye, uh, and I'm enjoying it. Uh-huh. And I, 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 I'm enjoying it more than I expected to. I think, oh, I'm not going to try to, I'm trying not to spoil anything, but I think it does a good attempt. I don't know if it'll succeed. Uh, a good attempt at trying to kind of, I don't, I wouldn't say make up for, but address the criticisms that Hawkeye faced after um, Endgame uh, about mm-hmm. Ronin and Black Widow's death. And it's kind of uh, humanizing him more in a way that I think has kind of always been his character storyline, which is, you know, like he's the family man. Um, but then the Ronin storyline just kind of really came, it, it, like it didn't really match that sort of, idea and then the black widow death thing um pissed off a lot of people and i think that this show is trying to kind of as much as they can because obviously they 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 can't bring uh her back um they they could if they wanted they could if they wanted to they clearly don't want to um maybe they will i don't know yeah no but if they brought her back it would cheapen things so i guess they're stuck with it Right, right right so i mean i think like a lot of the criticism about him was like Nobody cares about him. Him isn't an Avenger. His Ronin storyline was messed up, and Black Widow's death was messed up. And this show is kind of trying to, I think, address a lot of those things and show him more as both a person and a hero and um, kind of address, like, his feelings about Ronin and also Black Widow's death and just, like, a lot of stuff while also introducing, you know, Haley Steinfeld as um, probably definitely the next Black... Yeah, the next Hawkeye. That's not a spoiler. That's in line with the comics. Uh, so yeah, so I'm I am enjoying it more than I thought I would. I think that they have really good chemistry. Um, just the actors. I I always I used to like Hawkeye more in the earlier films, and then I didn't really enjoy his character development in comparison to other um, Avengers. And now this is kind of r- like reminding me. Not necessarily what I liked about him at first, but just kind of, it's really, I think it's really doing a good job at humanizing this character who everyone essentially has agreed to hate. And I think that's pretty cool. 
Um, even even you could still hate him, definitely. But it's it's like I think the the narrative of these shows so far, like all the Disney Plus shows, have been really good for the development of characters who maybe didn't get a lot of time on screen and it's really kind of pushing the storytelling a little bit of the marvel universe so i i like it a lot and um i'm only three episodes in only three episodes are released at the time that we're recording this and i think it's uh pretty cool i have had to google a lot of comic book stuff because i don't uh first of all i I just i just want to know who certain people are but i think that the shows kind of get a little bit more if possible comic booky uh, than the the movies, so it's it's interesting, and I'm I'm enjoying it. So yeah, so I'm just trying not to say any spoilers. I think Haley Steinfeld is. I don't think I've ever seen her act in anything before, but oh, she's fantastic. I think I saw her first movie when she was just fourteen. She starred um, opposite Matt Damon and Jeff Bridges in True Grit, and mm. I was like, this girl is obviously going to be a star. <laughs> and I've just been like really happy to see her succeed. Yeah, she makes the character really believable. Okay, great. So we're all very happy about that. I happen to, in in fan fiction circles, Hawkeye is a very popular character because people are basing a lot of his personality on the books and just kind of merging it with the movies wherever they feel like it because fan fiction, you can do whatever you want. Um, and apparently, like, I don't know how much of this show is going to be based on the very, very popular run. Um that has recently been released in an omnibus edition that I found out about. Um, that's called It's called Barton and Bishop by Matt Fraction. And the art is by David Aja or Aja. It's spelled A-J-A. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Um, but this is the most popular Hawkeye run. And there's actually been a kerfuffle with some of the publicity and the artwork because it's clearly based on Aja's art. And... It's not, uh, they're not giving him credit, they're not paying him, uh, so there was a bit of, yeah, controversy around that. But um, it's definitely inspired by the comics, I don't know how closely aligned it is, and like, obviously the comics didn't have anything to do with the MCU, so there are going to be differences, but um, if they're going for the, the character and the vibe of the comic, it would make sense, um, and hopefully it will be very good. And, like, actually planned out, because the comic is a full story. <laughs> I think the shows are the planning of each of the series that I've watched so far on Disney Plus have been pretty good. Uh, I, have, I have my uh, my misgivings about the, uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but, yeah, that show is kind of a mess. But, yeah, but WandaVision was very good. And yeah, I haven't seen enough of the other stuff yet. One day, one day, I will mooch a Disney Plus subscription off of somebody. I also like Hawkeye. <laughs> I was going to say, just Disney Plus give us sponsorship. <laughs> if Disney Plus wants to sponsor us, uh, sure, I will accept gladly all streaming services subscriptions for professional reasons. Of course. Um, Michal, you said you like Hawkeye. Do you mean the show or the character? Uh, the show, I have not enjoyed the character traditionally. The only movie I liked him in was Ultron. That was the only movie that actually gave him a character, I felt. Yeah, I mean, I I do feel like I don't know. Like I was I was hesitant about this, but I I I feel like the character just fits better on a TV screen as opposed to in a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I'm I'm just enjoying that a lot more. I was I wasn't expecting to particularly like it, but I do think they're doing a good job with it. 
Um, and I, I think as I understand, they're t- kind of taking the major beats from the Fraction Aha comic, um, but obviously changing a lot. And, you know, Pizza Dog is from the comic. <laughs> that I recognize from fanfic. <laughs> yeah, I saw people like literally saying that they were taking images, like the one with her putting the pizza box on her head direct from the comic. And I thought that was cool and interesting. It would be cooler if they paid him. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, I'm not surprised, but it would be cooler if they paid him. It was par for the course for Marvel. They haven't paid the, the guy who created the Winter Soldier either. Yeah, I mean, yeah. personally, I've had issues with like Netflix being like, oh, we want you to do something about K-pop, but we don't want to pay you. So I'm not surprised at all that they're like, eh, we don't need to pay for this thing that like is your job. We're just a small, struggling streaming service. We don't have the money. Mm. Puppy dog eyes. <laughs> Us? Money? Never heard of her. Mm. Please, sir, I want small. <laughs> <laughs> We're all just struggling through this pandemic. How dare you ask us for money? It's so callous. That's what they did to Scarlett Johansson, no That's joke. literally what they did to Scarlett <laughs> Anyhow, who wants to go next? Michal, do you want to go next or uh, save your voice a little longer? Um, I'll, I'll go quickly. Um, I um, I was going to say donuts because I've had a lot of really good donuts. This week, <laughs> but, um... Donuts are a fandom. It, it, is, a it is Hanukkah as we are recording this. So like, that yes. makes sense. Happy post Hanukkah to everyone listening. Yeah, sad. Um, post Hanukkah One hangover. day I want to talk about how like, Hanukkah seems like it's so long in the first night and then you get to like four or five and it's like oh my god it's, it's over, over. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, something I've been obsessed with kind of recently ongoing has been um, the uh, discussion of Jewish historical clothing slash costuming um, and there have been a couple of videos on YouTube from uh, costumers I think they're called um including one from um, Miss Snappy Dragon, or a couple, actually, from Miss Snappy Dragon is her is her handle, about kind of dealing with, uh, you know, Jewish clothing and researching it and kind of what some of the, a lot of the symbology was anti-Jewish that Jews had to wear and um, also dealing with the fact that, you know, a lot of the time Jews wore more or less what the, the local population was wearing, um, and uh, especially Jewish women. And, um, I would definitely recommend her videos. She has one on, like, a Jewish-style uh, veil, one on, um, like, a Sephardi costume and a, and an Ashkenazi costume, and I think she's planning on doing more. Um, and then there's another one about, um, I haven't finished watching it yet, from someone called, I think she's called Pins Abigail, and, uh, DSA Threads Costuming. Sorry, I just opened the video. And, um, she's, uh researching Italian Jews um, and what they wore in the Renaissance. Um, so I just find that really interesting. And, like, I think, Tamar, you were the one who, like, kind of initially sparked this way back when you were like, wait, why don't we have any of our own, like, cool clothing? <laughs> you know, like, we, we have some things, but not a lot. And for, you know, d- just to have that combined with, like, cool sewing videos and things that I like to watch is, like, really exciting and, like... You know, I've I've been writing this book that takes place in some historical era that I haven't picked up 
on yet, but it's <laughs> in the past in Europe. And like, I'm aware that there's like stuff that I don't, I don't know about like clothing. And I'm like using words like shift and curdle. And I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't know that these words are relevant, but like, they're just in there for now. I mean, there's a lot that's in there that probably doesn't <laughs> need to be in there. Um, but you know, um, I, I think it's a really cool trend to kind of explore, um, the diaspora experience through, through clothing and, and through like, you know, that combination of what the larger culture was wearing versus what, you know, Jewish people either had to or chose to wear. Yeah. It's interesting. This is not, um, a Jewish women's fashion thing and it's not like an everyday person fashion thing, but the Spanish and Portuguese synagogue where I work, um, they have certain modes of dress that are traditional for them that aren't, you know, for many, many others. Um, the rabbi, for instance, wears canonical robes and a cap. So it, it looks very formal and very old fashioned. Um, but that's, uh, that's standard, uh, clergy attire. And I'm not sure, you know, what era they picked it up and what clothing clergy traditions they were drawing on. It definitely has kind of a Christian vibe to it you know, more so than what we're used to in terms of Jewish attire. But clearly, they were, this was just a, a clergy thing at the time, and they kept it. So that's cool, too. They also have a title um, for a clergy person who doesn't have smicha, like the shamash, um, is called reverend, which is very unusual um, in Jewish institutions to have somebody uh, called reverend. It's usually not a Jewish title, but it is within the Spanish and Portuguese tradition. So that's also cool. Yeah, that's really cool. SM, how about you? Okay, so I have like five different obsessions at the moment. You know, the book I'm reading, the show I'm watching, blah, 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 blah. blah. But um, I decided on one obsession of uh, Dairy Girls, uh, which is a show on Netflix. I love Dairy Girls. <laughs> <laughs> And the reason I got into it, actually, was uh, through the back door of the Great British Baking Show because I thought I'd watched all of their episodes and I thought I'd watched all of their holiday specials, but it turned out I had missed one. And that was the episode where they had the cast of Dairy Girls compete against each other. And obviously, none of them are bakers. <laughs> and it's... Very, very entertaining. And if you have never watched an episode of Great British Bake Off, I highly recommend this one. <laughs> it is so fun. And they're just a riot. And it's, it's just really great. And they have wonderful accents. And it's, it's awesome because the, the show takes place in Ireland. And they're all Irish except for one who's English. And they keep... That's basically one of his main character traits is that he's English and everyone hates him because Ireland hates England. Um, and so, like, whenever he opens his mouth, everyone is like, ugh, that accent. And, like, what a dick. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, and, yeah, and so then I started watching the show. Um, I have to go back and watch because I was watching it late at night and I fell asleep. Um, so I there are a couple episodes in the middle that I think I just slept entirely through. But um, <laughs> it was very entertaining, the parts that I was awake for. In general, my, my uh, principle of movie and TV watching is that uh, movies and TV are better enjoyed while awake, and nothing has come along so far to challenge that. So what I like about it is something that I think that 
um, is common also in in a lot of European TV as a, as opposed to American TV. I feel like British and you know UK television tends to have more of a naturalism to it uh, that American TV doesn't, and you don't really notice it because we're used to the way that things work on TV and like how most of the time you know, one person talks and then another person talks, and occasionally they interrupt each other, but for the most part, um, it's it's relatively orderly, and the way that uh, that things work on uh, on Dairy Girls and other uh, European TV that I've seen it feels like um, people are not waiting their turn. People are just you know the same way they do in real life. They are just everybody's living their own their own reality and ignoring everybody else's reality, and whether that's in the middle of a conversation or not. Um, and it just it feels a lot more real and it feels a lot more cluttered which can sometimes be like I can imagine if like you have issues with overstimulation that a show like Dairy Girls would be good for you <laughs> but because um, it can be a bit overwhelming there's just like lots going on and all all the time all the scenes it feels like but um, if you like fast-paced overlapping constant <laughs> uh, bickering and dialogue like that um, it's really fun. The characters are ridiculous and nobody is painted as like the good girl or the saint. Everybody is just, you know, a mess and it's great. <laughs> it's really funny. And there's historical context, which I probably will look up at some point to really understand what is actually happening in the background, but it's not essential to understand it. Uh, there's something going on politically speaking in the 90s, but I know nothing about English or Irish history. <laughs> it's based, it's set during the Troubles, so it's um, it's it's basically when Ireland was still under English rule, and um, obviously the the Protestant part of the country was fine with that, and the Catholic. It's way more complicated than this, but the Catholics obviously wanted independence, and eventually that leads to the creation of northern ireland and ireland yeah. and as a jewish person i'm still not even clear on what the difference is between catholicism catholicism <laughs> and protestantism except for the pope um <laughs> i could tell you but this is not yes. the time <laughs> this is not the podcast for that i did hear a funny joke though where um someone was in ireland once and um i don't know if it's true or it's just a joke but um they were jewish and they were they were stopped and someone asked them like are you a catholic or a protestant <laughs> and they said, oh, I'm neither, I'm Jewish. And they said, but are you a Catholic Jew or a Protestant <laughs> Amazing. Jew? Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also, it made me feel better that in the <laughs> in the show itself, the kids don't know why they hate the Catholics and why the Protestants hate the Catholics and the Catholics hate the Protestants. They're just like, so what's the difference? We're trying to find common ground between us. And what's the difference between Catholics and Protestants? And they're just like, they smell bad, you know, like just like all kinds of, you know, stupid stereotypes, but like that nobody actually has any reasons, um, which is very funny and probably more true than, <laughs> than they'd like to believe. Um, yeah, well, two, two things about the show that are like my favorite mm -hmm. things. One is when um, the main character wants to go to a concert <laughs> in one episode and her mother decides it's too dangerous because there's a polar bear on the loose, whatever. <laughs> and she's like, but nobody good ever comes here because we won't stop killing each other. <laughs> it's just like, it was just like, I can, 
I could so I was immediately like, you know, in Israel in the nineties. <laughs> I was like, you know, that kind of thing. Um and then uh just all I have to say, Sister Michael is I love the, the nun she's history. the best. I actually knew her first when I when I saw her on the Great British Bake Off, I recognized her because she hosted the most recent season of the Great Pottery Throwdown. Um, and so I didn't even know what her character was on the show. And like on the show, she's much more subdued, but like in real life, obviously when you're, you know, anyone who's that good with comedy has, you know, probably has a bigger personality than that. Um, and she's just great on the show and she's just very, she very dry and underplayed, but just perfect. (laughs) She's, she's the greatest. Okay. So those are our obsessions. And now we move on to our main event, which is discussing our first Musarmida of Savlanut. But first, we want to explain what exactly a Musarmida is and what we're doing. Um, And I don't have a concise explanation for that. Does anyone else want to jump in? Well, I guess you could describe Musar. Musar is a complicated kind of part of Jewish philosophy, but it's basically self-improvement and... Uh, you know, and, and kind of principles for making yourself a better person and focusing on, on ways you can improve, um, all of which is like three different ways of saying the same thing. Um, <laughs> and um, we were thinking about kind of how to approach the next series of episodes of Nice Jewish Fangirls. And um, I think Tamar had the idea of kind of just taking these midot and, and uh, uh, mida, uh, plural midot, our character traits, I should say, um, and kind of looking at them through the lens of, you know, fandom and fiction. And um, I think, yeah, I think we're going to have some really interesting discussions about them. Yes. Thank you very much. So the first Mida on the list that we selected from Safaria, which will be linked, I assume, in the doobly-doo, as they say. Um, and it is... a. Uh, it is the Mida of Savlanut, which translates to patience. And so we're going to discuss how patience applies to fictional characters and to fandom in general. Like our listeners waiting over a year for yes, us to return. Yes, all of you waiting so much <laughs> and having absolutely no way to contact us whatsoever. <laughs> Greatly appreciate you guys still listening. Yeah, I don't know Very why you're still so. here. I would not be here. Someone told me that they had, and shout out to this person, I, I, you know who you are, but they, they told me that they had a backlog of like 400 episodes, but when our episode came out, they, they listened to it first. Oh, my yeah. God. I know. My heart just grew three sizes. I, know. I love you, 3,000. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so should I start, or does anybody else uh, have something they'd like to start with? Um, I kind of wanted to start with a, a very general fandom thing before we went sure. into like specific ones, which is essentially the the patience that fans need when they're waiting for something, especially if like you're a George R. R. Martin fan or something. Um, but I feel like we're all at the age where you, we grew up waiting for the Harry Potter books, the releases, and I think that's something that is like a universal fandom thing. Is if you're reading or watching a work in progress or waiting for something like it's such a part of the existence of Mm. being a fan. That's just my perspective. Yeah. And I think that we actually have it so much easier than past generations 
because we have so many avenues of communication with creators of things that we like. Like I mentioned, I think last episode that I found a uh, an edition, an omnibus edition of Star Trek episodes converted to short stories by an author named James Blish, and he wrote introductions to each batch of stories that he did that were collected in the omnibus as well and he talked about receiving letters and not being able to write back and so I was thinking about it all from a fan perspective but then I then I talked about this with a friend and she brought up a perspective that I hadn't even been thinking about which is the author perspective um that at the time which was he wrote these uh, from 1968 to 1975. And at the time, there was no other way for an author to speak to a large group of people outside of like a convention, but just in order to communicate with their, their fans in large numbers, there was no way other than through your next book. You couldn't say anything to a fan other than like one-on-one in a letter. Um, and that you couldn't, you didn't have a website. Obviously, there was no social media. There was no Twitter, and like obviously, Twitter is a hellscape, and t- social media was a mistake. But it did allow us to have so much more back and forth that I think is can be helpful for creators and to fans um, to allay some of that uh, impatience or just like right now, <laughs> J. Michael Straczynski is rebooting Babylon Five and. He's got on his Patreon, he sends out occasional updates of like, where are we in the process? And like right now, I happen to know that because I just subscribed to his Patreon that um, that we're in the process. He just, you know, he pitched the the script of the for the pilot to the studio and he's gotten back studio notes, which he says are very reasonable. And he's in the process of making the revision um, and then they go from there. Uh, so everything is on track. Like, that is something that could not have been possible <laughs> in the 60s and 70s. And just, like, imagine having something to share with your fans and not being able to say it unless you finished a book. Like, I would never talk to anybody ever because I've been writing the same book for 10 years. <laughs> so I've heard the, there's a famous uh, saying, somebody said, I don't remember who, uh, but, like, that writing a book is, like, Um, telling a joke, and then waiting two years to find out if anybody laughed. So creating itself from the perspective of the creators definitely takes sablanut and patience to be able to create something and then get it out to an audience and find out that's a long process. Uh, So I feel like there's a lot of patience on that end as well. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you know, it's interesting... I, I I'm obviously like elbow deep in the in the Thrones fandom um, and Song of Ice and Fire, and like I, I do think like so so this summer um, July twelfth I think was the ten year anniversary of Dance with Dragons being released. So it's the last one, and, the la- the most recent mm-hmm. one. Wow. Yeah, and you know it was a really bittersweet thing because it, obviously it's easy to be really cynical and and ragey about it, um, and, and not view it through a lens of patience. And, and in some way, I feel like I don't blame people who are frustrated. I mean, I'm frustrated, you know, about not having the book. But on the other hand, I, I do feel like 
you know, that, like, like Tamara said, like, it, it is kind of the mark of fandom is waiting for things. Like, I, you know, this is obviously, like, a little bit of an extended, um, like, you know, it's, it's an extreme version of that phenomenon. Um, although not the most extreme, like, I think there are some books that actually, some authors that came out with books in the same series farther apart than this, but, you know, for a fandom to still be around, you know, and still be talking about things and and having conversations and analyzing the stories and and thinking about them and having them be part of their lives, like that that is a positive thing, you know, and that that does speak well, I think, to people people's ability to have patience and to have like kind of like a, a I don't know like a peace, you know, with mm-hmm. with whatever the future of the thing is going to be. And I think it's impressive, especially with something that is, like, is a relatively small amount of canon, you know what I mean? Like, I haven't read the books, and, like, I know they're long, but, you know, there's, you know, a bunch of them, and that's it. As opposed to, like I mentioned, like, comics fandom is just so expansive, and now Star Trek fandom, you know, the canon just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and there's always more material, which is, like... There's there's plenty of other things to have discussions about, but uh, with Game of Thrones, there's just this small, finite amount of canon, but people are still digging and still talking about it, which I think is really interesting. Um, so to turn more to, um, I guess, the in-fiction part, um, something that I kept, I, I started thinking about in terms of Savlanut was, like, how how classic fantasy protagonists are often in a a patience impatience balance with their mentors so like luke is obviously very impatient to get <laughs> off of tatooine you know um and he's very eager to learn and obi-wan is kind of not holding him back, back but he's actually i mean in some ways he's urging him toward the next step in his journey but but one um, step at a time exactly yeah um, he's not, he's not, I mean, he is handing a lightsaber without telling him how to turn it on. <laughs> God, Luke didn't turn it on for anyone who's seen that meme. Yes. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I still, I, you know, uh, uh, it comes out also later when, you know, it, it's clear what Obi-Wan has concealed from him. Also, Yoda, I think, maybe, maybe even more than Obi-Wan. Oh, yeah. Yoda was like, you must learn patience. <laughs> Yeah. And he's like, but I don't want to be patient. I want to save the world now because the world needs saving now. Which is another reason why his whole arc in the in the the recent movies is just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is too big of a topic to get you into. We're not discussing but, that. <laughs> um, but I think um you know, and I was thinking of Harry and Dumbledore, like Harry has a big problem with impatience and um like he's, you know, uh, usually for good thing for good reasons because he's the hero but like you know he and Dumbledore are a lot of the time in like a push-pull kind of uh, uh situation especially as they start working more closely together where Harry wants to know everything wants to do all the things and Dumbledore is like not just not just keeping things from him on like a on like a small level or like a steps of pedagogy le- level like he's keeping it to him till like the last possible moment like the, all the things he needs to know so that the plan will go perfectly um i was thinking of zuko and iroh also from 
uh, avatar. Because, yes. you know, does anyone embody patience like General Iroh? They've cast the live action one. Oh my god, I'm so excited. Yeah. And <laughs> that actually looks like really good casting. Why? I mean, I guess the, the, the question I keep on thinking about as we're talking is like, why Why is this such an important, like, why is the, the like, teacher, student, patient situation, like, why is it so important? Like, why is it a theme that is, is a reoccurring theme? And like, why is it such a big deal that it's essentially become a trope? Like, you need patience to go on the next step of your journey. Hmm. That's that's my question. Well, I'm just saying that, like, consider what always happens when people act impulsively in movies. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it works out, but a lot of times it backfires. So, just drawing it back to sublimate, is that why you need to like work on yourself and patient? Um, so that your plans do not fail. Yeah, I mean, because like, just take it from all the supervillains. Whenever a supervillain, you know, is really patient and methodical, they have a much better chance of succeeding. Um, but as soon as you know something happens and they are like, oh, now I got to bump up the timeline, everything goes to heck. So um, <laughs> that, uh, I mean, I find it reassuring that if you are an impatient person, you're probably not a supervillain, or at least you won't be a very good one. <laughs> That is a good point. Yeah, but uh, does that just mean you're like a level one boss that you're defeated very quickly? <laughs> yeah, I was actually talking about this with my little brother, um, who is uh, the best, and he is uh, every bit as nerdy as we have raised him to be. And he pointed out that there is a difference between, because um, he said that like, well, villains might be, some villains are very, very patient, you know, in general, but they're not very patient with their followers. And I was like, aha, big picture patience versus interpersonal patience are two very different things. And it's possible to have a lot of Savlanut in one area, but very little in another, which uh, I think is a very interesting uh, distinction. And I said I would bring it up and we would discuss it. That's that's a good point. I mean, I... Obviously, like, my mind goes to Harry Potter, so, like, I think, yeah, you could probably say that Voldemort does have patience in a lot of ways. Um, he, he knows how to play the long game, but he is very short with his uh, his followers. Like, he, he keeps them on a... Off with their heads! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, on a very short stretch. I'm also thinking of Kingpin. He's been on my mind recently uh -huh. for Marvel reasons, um, and he's a very, very patient villain. But, <laughs> yeah, also, like, kind of not i mean the reason why his own lackeys are yeah as soon as someone gets yeah. him mad he smashed their head in on a car door yeah oh god right i forgot about that that was very <laughs> intense yes even years later i remember that <laughs> that was in daredevil season one and somehow i remember that yeah. i wonder if it's like a different kind of patience if it's like if there's a kind of patience that you have for the benefit of others versus for your own benefit i think it also might have to do with control because I think that, like, mm. when you're being patient in the big picture, you're like, I'm going to do this on my terms. But then if somebody disappoints you in an interpersonal situation where you had no control over what they did, um, then that lack of control just turns to rage. Yeah. Um, I wasn't, I like, wrote this down, but I wasn't sure if I was going to bring it up. But one of the pieces of fiction that has given me a lot of peaceful and escapist moments during the pandemic I've mentioned it before that it started as the 
but it didn't start, but I started in it as the TV show, the Chinese TV show, The Untamed, um, which is based on a, a book called The Grandmaster of Demonic Cultivation. It's a very uh, intense title. Um, and it's a story about, it, it's a BL book, um, but it's, the, the show is, is a bromance series, of course, because in China you couldn't have a, <laughs> a queer uh, series, but I've really fallen down. Like, There's a lot even, of fic. I've seen a lot. Yeah, of the fic. source material doesn't matter to me as much as the fix because the fix really spent a lot of time. Like, it seems like the whole fandom has mental health issues, and the fix are all just ex- using the characters kind of to explore different elements and facets of like humanity. Um, but mm-hmm. one of the big things that kind of is in the story is that pretty much the show. I don't know if the book starts the same way, but the show starts pretty much the main character is coming back to life and you later find out that his boyfriend, husband in the show, best friend, um, waited for him for either 13 or 16 years, depending on which medium you're watching in, except he didn't know that. So like he just died and a person died. You don't expect them to ever come back. So he spent like this period, huge period of like more than bar mitzvah age waiting for someone who's never going to return to him. And he spent the time period, like, because they're um, necromancers, essentially, um, and exorcists. So, like, he was trying to, like, connect with him on the other side, and he never got any response. And then the response he got was essentially that he came back to life. But he didn't know that was going to happen. So he spent, like, these some odd years pretty much, like, asking, are you still there? Are you alive? Or, I mean, are you uh, alive in the sense that you have a spiritual connection through the spirit world still. And like, that's, that's the story that I thought was the most interesting, which is like, you keep waiting because you want something to happen. And like, he is essentially like a monk who has the most inner peace in the world because he wants something so much. And he, the only thing he can get is, is no answer. And just, I was, I was thinking of that this morning as I was like prepping these thoughts, just like, Sometimes patience is not to, like, lead to something. Like, you don't, like, in, in Star Wars, you know, like, Luke is essentially being taught you need patience before you can act. But I thought also, like, a lot of life, you don't really know what the act, what you're waiting for. And I thought this untamed, um, like, patience just to kind of keep, like, same, like, finding, uh, like, peacefulness is very... Mm. something that I really it really appeals to me black (laughs) now yeah serious black and you know just like holding on to the one positive thought that will keep you sane yeah it wasn't a positive thought but just that he was innocent and waiting for your opportunity to to come along to get out yeah I mean I think in the untamed he doesn't have he doesn't even expect that there's going to be an opportunity it's just kind of like kind of like when you go outside and like you see trees and it makes you feel good like I think like sometimes that, like, sense of peace that comes from the act of, like, finding patience towards something that maybe will never happen, like, I think that's kind of a nice thing, and I've been thinking about that a lot. It's kind of like an acceptance, acceptance of the thing not not happening, but still hoping for it. Isn't that what so much of the patience is, especially, like, in Harry Potter, like, Dumbledore is essentially leading Harry towards, like, this road of patience that's to the acceptance that he will have to die. Spoilers. Sorry if nobody's... I think the statute of limitations (laughs) but like that's what that's the point of the patience right it's like building up your (laughs) your oh like a levels your inner reserves or I read a book uh recently called uh 
breaking bread with the dead and he talks about a lot about this idea of personal density um and i'm gonna see if i can figure out how to explain this um and has to do with just solidifying your own identity and your own sense of self enough that like when the latest controversy comes along you know you don't feel swept up in it and you feel like you know you're grounded enough in your own self that you can just you know you can you can analyze and engage with things in the world but you don't let them you know completely take over your uh your identity and your mind and like in this age of social media we see how quickly everybody uh can turn on anything you know they they get like a tiny bit of of a of a quote and there's an immediate pile on and um it's uh yeah patience when trying to uh trying to deal with situations in in life and to just be able to hold your ground um and not feel um not feel rushed into making a decision um and to just to just be there <laughs> i guess um the book was I, I said I read it recently, which I mean within the past year, but I haven't read it like yesterday. So um, there were a lot of interesting ideas in there. Uh, and like it was a book about reading and about getting a, a historical perspective on on humanity by reading older books and seeing how people thought then and how, you know, and thinking about how people in the future are going to perceive us um, when they read our stories um and yeah not sure exactly how that ties into what you were saying but it felt relevant i mean i think that's a like building up patience so that you can deal with life is the important thing right so that you and then you get to be luke in return of the jedi who is the most badass and patient and han is like what's happening tell me everything and luke is like just i got this man oh my god luke and return of the jedi was just the best that was the first movie that i saw of of the star trek movie of the star wars movies and yeah so that is why i have always had a fairly large crush on luke he's crushable in that movie yeah because everybody's just like he's so whiny and annoying and i'm like but awesome. <laughs> then he turns into a New Yorker and goes up quiet and, t- and wears all black. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like my back flipping Luke, you know, in those booths. I'm just like, I don't, I don't know what everybody's talking about. Not liking him. Yeah. And then they, you know, assassinated his character in the sequels. So we don't talk about those. <laughs> well, something I wanted to think um, to talk about, um, we touched on it a tiny bit, but like a lot of the time in stories, like obviously, you know each of these each of these Medo has a counter uh, or an opposite, and unsurprisingly for patients, it's impatience. <laughs> um, but but I I I was thinking like when is that is that always bad, especially in fiction? Like mm-hmm. because is uh, what's the line between impatience and decisiveness? You know, mm-hmm. like is there is there a a point where you can be too patient on something and something that requires... This is where I bring up Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) I've just been waiting (laughs) for the opportunity. Um, Because, yeah, there's, like, a lot of the dynamic between 
Kirk and Spock. Um, I do think that Kirk is more patient than people in generally talk about him being, and they consider him to be the impulsive one. Um, but I think he's basically he's more impulsive than Spock. Spock is very you know calm and methodical and the embodiment of Savlanut, but Kirk always confers with Spock um, and you know will genuinely listen to his advice. And it's the point being in that dynamic is that you kind of need both. Um, there's also an episode where Kirk gets split into two, um, an evil, or the first that they, at first they think it's an evil half and, uh, and a good half, but they eventually feel, figure out that it's a bit more complicated than that, that one half is like basically the pure id or, um, not necessarily the pure id, but just his, um, his decisiveness and his strength and also, you know, a lot of the, the impulsiveness and the, and, uh, yeah, and the negative desires that he, that the other half of him, uh, the experience, the calm, kind half, you know, would never act on. Um, and they, he needs to have both in order to live. Um, and yeah, it's a very cheesy episode. The music is hilarious and like the lighting and, and his, his evil half wears eyeliner. It's like the most unsubtle, you know, <laughs> ridiculous thing. But um, but the and like the execution could be better. But there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of Musser in there of just that, uh, that the uh, that the things that can be negative traits on their own when mixed with other traits um, can become positives. So, like, if you're impatient, um, but you're impatient about the right things, you know, like, the world is burning, I need to do something, rather than, you know, the world is burning, <laughs> or rather than, you know, just, I don't know, I'm, I'm mad at uh, this author for not for not releasing his book, so I'm going to write him a death threat. You know, like, there's different things that you can do with your impatience um, that have varying levels of positive and negative uh, consequences. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's that's an important thing to keep in mind. And, like, it is it is a lot of context. Like, I keep thinking that I'm not sure if it's on this list. Actually, I have the list open. I can just check right now. Uh, it is not. But um, Zrizot, or, like... Oh, it is on the Alacrity? list. It's lower down. I think it was lower oh, it down. Is? Oh, oh, uh, enthusiasm. I guess yeah, they the cate- they wrote it as enthusiasm. I think I added in brackets alacrity because yeah. that's how I like to call it. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think alacrity is a cool word and should be used more often. <laughs> I I'll get on that train. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that that is something. Obviously, we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. Um, but. I guess, I guess being impatient also would be, uh, you know, a desire to act that is maybe misguided, whereas decisiveness would be a, a properly guided yeah. desire to act. I can get with that. I mean, even, like, when Harry is, like, going, going to save Sirius, right, in the Ministry of Magic, like, which is disastrous... Like, it's not that his intentions are bad, but he almost wants to act more to do something than to not do something. Mm-hmm. Also, he didn't have complete information, which for which I blame Dumbledore. Right. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> actually, I, I've reread the end of that book a couple of times. I'm like, it actually is really 
really well constructed. Oh, it's fantastic. Way, like, uh, listening, the, the way they did in the movie was awful. And it makes you forget how amazing it, it was in the book. Like, I listened to it um, on CD um, a while ago, <laughs> years ago, I remember. And, like, we were up to that part of just, like, the whole sequence in the Ministry of Magic and the way that... Um, that things slowly start to go sideways and then the stakes get higher and higher and things get worse and worse and worse. And it's just really brilliantly constructed and, and paced and written. And they threw it all away in the movie and made you completely forget how good it was. Anyway, that's not really part of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the movie is terrible. Don't see it. Um, (laughs) But yeah, uh, you were saying about, um, why why he did what he did and where it was coming from motivationally yeah yeah i mean so obviously harry's not not a bad person for wanting to save his godfather but yeah i i do wonder if that's if it's if you can categorize impatience as something that is like maybe you know you shouldn't act on a certain level or act yet well um, I don't have an answer to that, but something that I was thinking about when we were talking, um, I feel like we're focusing on Harry Potter and Star Wars today just because these are the things that people most know about, um, but not Luke, but rather Poe and Holdo. Like, that whole sequence of, of like, him essentially revolting because he, he can't wait to see what her, like, plan is because she won't tell him. Like, she's literally telling him, oh, be patient, like, I have a plan. And he's just like, no, I'm going to start a rebellion against you because you're not telling me your plan. Um, And and obviously that doesn't end so well um, for him or her, but mostly because of him. Or partially because of him. That's that's a loaded question. I'm not blaming everything on Poe. We still like Poe. But I really, I just rewatched the movies and honestly... I watched the whole series. I really liked her. I really think that that was like one of the saving moments of the new trilogy was Poe and Holdo's dynamic. It was it was like one of the only things I really enjoyed. So um, I know people like the movies. I'm sure some people do. Um, but I, I did like that scene. I thought <laughs> they might be Russian bots, but they might be people. Um, I just I just thought that like that whole dynamic is based on the idea of somebody in a power position saying you need to learn patience and you need to recognize that maybe you you don't have all the information sometimes and this person who does not have patience being like nah um and just not and you know even though as you're watching you're like uh everybody who has any like intelligence in the room is clearly not agreeing with him um and it's all the like emotional people who are and so it's just interesting i just I like that a lot is kind of like an example of patience versus decisiveness because poe definitely thinks he's being like he's making a good decision but you as the viewer are kind of quite aware that he's being a brash impatient dude mm-hmm. yeah i feel like decisiveness i mean you can be decisive and impulsive <laughs> um but also you can be decisive decisive in um as in having weighed the facts and having taken all of the information that you currently have and decided that it's enough um and choosing a course of action based on having considered the various options um so i feel like that's that's like a that's like a kirk thing 
<laughs> he can be very decisive. Like he can, he can be very, he can be impulsive, but like he's also, you don't have the sense that he's unaware of the possible consequences. I wonder if you could say that it's almost like it's, it's within, within the context of Musser, impatience is bad because you haven't performed Musser on yourself. You know, you haven't, you haven't done any self-reflection or enough self-reflection on what you know and what your actions should be. And like, not that you're going to make the right decision every single time, but like maybe, you know, like going back to Harry, like he just, he won't, he won't contemplate any other option other than that he's right, even though there is some evidence, not a ton, but some real evidence that he is being led astray. Like, in and if you maybe take the time to do that internal calculation and 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 figure out, you know, where you stand, I guess, in relation to that decision, like, maybe that's more of, of like, a way to avoid impatience and maybe act with alacrity instead. Uh, <laughs> to quote a line that from the episode of Discovery that I just watched this <laughs> a, a couple hours ago with my dad um to uh it's a need to look inside oneself with absolute candor um mm-hmm. to be honest with yourself and I'm like no thank you let's go on <laughs> now to be fair it's not exactly like that's an easy thing like yes. especially like, <laughs> like nope god forbid you're in like a really especially in fiction like you could be in really like situations that require some pretty quick thinking yes so like for example one book earlier harry in the graveyard maybe not the best time to sit and like take an internal stock yes i don't have a time for a cheshbon nefesh now sorry (laughs) exactly um yes cheshbon nefesh is like the phrase uh, i think would translate i guess to an internal calculation or a calculation of the soul it's a heart to heart with yourself you do a it's when you do a self-evaluation. Yeah. It usually comes up around Yom Kippur time when uh, you're supposed to be uh, atoning for all the things you did wrong and will probably do again. <laughs> but uh, we hope to be better and to take stock of what we've done and and go on. Um, yeah, so that, so I guess Savlanut and, a, and the willingness to perform a cheshbon nefesh in order to achieve that savlanut, um, and then ultimately make the right decision, is, um, I think it's a common characteristic of, of protagonists that are heroic, um, other than the ones that just jump in and everything miraculously works out and, uh, the world just molds around them, usually because they are white men. (laughs) So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess, well, that's something else that occurred to me. Like, I couldn't think of that many female <laughs> characters who, like, this really applied to. And then, I mean, but they, the ones that I could think of were kind of matronly in a way. So, like, not classical protagonists. So, like, I feel um, like Katniss. I think, Katniss is a very patient character. That's um, true. Like, she's that's very true, methodical and very strategic. Yeah. Um, I mean, Catelyn Stark in A Song of Ice and Fire has, like, has actual in-text, like, internal conversation about how her life has been waiting for, like, the men in her life um, and for them to make decisions and for her to just respond to those decisions. Um, So that's, you know, it's very moving. Well, I mean, I was thinking 
less cat and more Daenerys, like she's waited her whole life and she's supposed to be having all this patience and she clearly does not do the work. She's just... Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of other women. Mm. Oh, Princess Leia. She doesn't have, you know, she's not front and center of her own movie ever. <laughs> uh, I just mean, she's not necessarily patient or, like, she does both, no? Like, later on, is, is in the in the later movies. Yeah, I mean, like, like she was she's... raised a diplomat. So she yeah. does have, you know, that amount of patience. And, like, I've read, you know, some of, like, the, the novelizations, I remember. And, like, so, like, while she was in that cell, she wasn't just, you know, waiting. There was, like, there was torture and stuff like that. And, you know, um... But she, you know, held on to an inner peace that um, what she was doing was right and for the good of the the rebellion. So I guess that falls into that category. But again, not that much to go on on screen. But yeah, female mentors in general are not that common. I guess you could say Professor McGonagall. Yeah. I mean, she's not like a main mentor, but I always think of... Uh... She is to Hermione. I want the Hermione McGonagall Mm. story. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess going back to my Holdo thing, like she was essentially not mentoring him, but she was trying to be like, I'm a person in leadership position and you're ignoring this. So that's sort of mentoring. Um, I I just wanted to ask one question, which is if you guys had any, um, could think of any works of fiction that um, required patience from you and that rewarded it. So many. I feel like the Verkosigan saga is not an easy like the the books are not the easiest to read because the the style and the language are fairly advanced um and some you know they're they're not written like popcorn books like they they're 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 substantial and but I find that like most of them um until like the most recent books I I don't think are as strong but there's like a lot of books um in the beginning and the middle of the series that are really good and like you feel accomplished when you finish one of, one of them um because it wasn't necessarily easy to get through but you also uh it also is is very rewarding um and feels like you got something out of it yeah well i think for me i'd probably shout out the goblin emperor by katherine addison which is a really beautiful book um and it is I think I called it like the most interesting, boring book I've ever read because it is very slow and very like almost an intentionally not plot oriented. Um, but it's really just about watching this character kind of grow into his situation and and very slowly become more comfortable by degrees. And meditation is an important part of that book also. And um, But, I, you know, I found it a very... I haven't reread it. I, I keep meaning to reread it, but it's it's like at the bottom of a very long list of books I have to read for the first time. Um, but yeah, that's that that is a really refreshingly slow paced book that does require a little bit of of patience to stick with it. But I think in the end comes to just a really uh, you know not not cataclysmic but very satisfying conclusion. This isn't what I was I'm gonna talk about, but uh, just an aside, and I know. We don't necessarily love this book, but Patrick Rothfuss is like all the stuff with both just like sitting there thinking and playing music, I think is actually quite beautiful, like in regards to patience, because as a reader, you're like, is this ever going to get back to action? But I was, <laughs> but my real, my real thing is um, closer to my heart is 
uh, as you may or may not know, I, I write about K-pop for a living and I'm a big fan and K-pop groups typically take some time before they get like to their popularity and you as a fan are just like waiting and you're waiting for good songs and you're waiting for like the albums to be announced and you're just waiting for everything and there's like a whole big rollout for every release, like a lot of teaser images and trailer videos and this and that and promotions and it's all like you kind of have to have some patience also because like you know it's going to come but you don't know how it's going to be and if you're going to like it and if the result is going to be good um so for me I think that's a big part of why like K-pop is kind of like that uh, anticipation of what's to come and like to be excited about what maybe your patience will obviously you're not doing anything but as a fan usually uh, I mean there are some things fans do but uh you're just kind of a an audience member waiting to see if your anticipation pays off and I think it's quite fun yeah well how about a lightning round of what are you currently impatiently waiting for oh the winds of winter (laughs) 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 what about you Tamar oh I can't say that (laughs) the thing I'm waiting for um something I can say oh that's exciting No, no, no no I mean it's because I'd get my career would be ruined. Um, something that I'm excited about. Oh, I mean, this is not very, like, something big or anything, but Great British Bake Off is doing a New Year's special, and I'm excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> like, it'll be here soon. I'm not, there's not a lot of anticipation, except that I was like, oh, yay, there's a Christmas one and a New Year's one this year. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, too. Um, I didn't know about it until you just mentioned it, but now I'm excited. Well, the Christmas one is really good. I just watched it. Yay, Rosie! I watched I I, I watched like half of one. I, I have to get back to it. I got interrupted, um, but they I liked the cold open that they did. They <laughs> were like, "This is a, a Christmas special, clearly filmed in May." Yeah, that was funny. Um, so I most impatiently waiting for the re- return of Star Trek: Prodigy, which for some reason went on hiatus until January and didn't tell me. Was very rude. Um, and for the premiere of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which is going to be uh, the new episodic show, it's going to get back to episodic storytelling rather than a huge, uh, intense season-long arc. And I'm hoping that that will feel a lot more of the, you know, feel-good vibe of old Trek that I love so much. Um and also, now on, on that subject, also the Orville is going to come back soon. Although I don't think I, I don't have a date on Strange New Worlds and I don't have a date on the Orville. Um, but they're coming and they will get here. I have faith. Uh, and yeah, so I like my, uh, my Star Trek, apparently. It's a secret. It's a secret. <laughs> don't tell anybody. <laughs> Save with us. <laughs> Um, I guess we should also just say that the next upcoming uh, Mida that we'll be discussing is Generosity or Nadivut. Mm, think about that one. And if you have any thoughts, get in touch with us. <laughs> yes, you can reach us um, on Twitter at Nice Jewish Fangirls. You can, well, I think our Twitter handle is just Jewish Fangirls because um, nice was too long. I don't know how it works. Um, or you can find us on Facebook at Nice Jewish Fangirls, or you can email us, nice Jewish fangirls at gmail.com. And for individuals, uh, you can 
find me on Facebook and you can follow my public posts. You can find me on Twitter at Floating Spirals. And you can uh, find my fiction on Amazon at Amazon.com slash author slash SM Rosenberg. And what about you, Tamar? Where can people find you? Follow my Daily Publication, Tamar Herman.com, or follow me on Instagram, and sometimes Twitter, but I'm taking a break back tomorrow, right? Follow my Facebook author page, Tamar Herman, which I am not really good at engaging with, but if you engage with me, I will try to be better, and you can buy <laughs> my book, BTS Bliss, Sweat and Tears, on Amazon.com, if you prefer, um, to learn something, some amazing things about the movie and Michal, what about you? I am on Twitter at Ink As Rain, and I'm also doing the um, Level 7 Access podcast, where you can also find our wonderful, amazing editor, Jamie. Um, that's about, currently we're talking about Hawkeye. And you can also find me on the Podcast of Surprise, which is a Witcher podcast, and that's coming back real soon. So <laughs> we'll be having some stuff to talk about there. Well, that would have been a good topic for patients and yeah. <laughs> I think we've worn out our patience on this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> on that note. <laughs> on that note, happy belated Hanukkah, um, retroactively, and live long and prosper. <laughs>